This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for this evening, Stan. Hi, my name is Dan. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, actually, I thought it was an alarm on me because last time Wolf invited me to one, so I was getting ready to tell you my sad story. But now, since it's a compulsive overeater meeting, I'm going to tell you my happy story. <laughs> so it's a slight difference. Walter and I know each other a very long time. And uh, these meetings here are very civilized, and we've gone to meetings that are kind of like the wild old west. You know, that thing in Universal City where they have those, you know, explosions that go off once in a while. And uh, I'm not going to go into it too much detail because that would kind of like border on the gossip side. We don't want to do that. Um, I guess uh, to qualify, uh, I'll start with my story uh, backwards. Uh, I used to weigh like about 280 pounds or wore a size 48 uh, pair of pants. And today I wear a size 34. And my weight generally drifts around 180 pounds. So depending on the right weight, um, it depends whether I'm a 100-pounder or a 99-pounder, you know. But to me, it's, uh, it's been an amazing program. Uh, since there are a lot of newcomers here, I'm going to tell my story from the very beginning. Um, um, so um, one of the things that's the hallmark of my program, so I'm doing it backwards. You know, you're supposed to give you a, but that's the way it's sort of coming, so that's the way I'll do it. Uh, a lot of people uh, in OA, for some reason, it's, it's a peculiar program, in that um, a lot of people have this idea that they just uh, come to meetings. And then um, there's also the expression that um, you know, I read the big book, I've become very serene, but I've been in program for 20 years and I haven't lost an ounce, or I've been in program for 20 years and I haven't got down to my goal weight, depending on which end of the spectrum that you happen to be. Um, I'm one of the firm believers that one of the important benefits of this program is to be down to something uh, I call a healthy weight. Um, it's, you can't determine it for the chart, but everybody inside ourselves, we all know, you know, what a healthy weight is. And, um, you, you know, um, so a lot of people, then they come to the program and then, you know, after a couple of years, they're trying to figure out, and uh, I've been in, I've had to do endless inventories, uh, and I went to meetings with people. It's not one of my business, but it's part of my story, and for some reason it's resonating tonight, so I'll tell it to you, uh, where they shared that exact same share. And you know what it's like to sit in a room and listen to somebody, and you know this person, let's say, for eight years, and you go to 40 meetings a week, and they have that exact same share. I do this, I've gone to nutritionist, and I can't lose weight. And um, about two years ago, even though I was in program for 22 years, I started having lots of problems 
with abstinence. Because sometimes this disease, when it starts getting strong, it could really rip your butt. I don't care if you've been in program for 60 years. I've always had a good respect, um, you know, for this disease. And then I finally figured out what the secret of this program is. The secret of the program is very simple. It's doing the 12 steps and never by yourself. Um, we'll talk about why in a minute. And it's also those eight tools. If any day that uh, I get up and I feel a little funny and I'm getting like interesting food thoughts about different kinds of combinations of food, I just go over the eight tools. And, you know, have I done writing? Do I have an eating plan? Um, eating plan is a, one of the tools, and I know very few people that have been struck by a lightning bolt, and then they could just march around and eat whatever they want, and somehow it works out okay. There are an occasion people say they do it, but when I find out who they are, it really turns out they're jogging like 90 miles a day. <laughs> you know. But for those of us that have like normal to moderate exercise, uh, you know, it's real important. And sponsorship well, on both ends is very important. To find yourself a sponsor, because your genius head or my genius head that couldn't figure out how to lose weight in the first place is never going to figure out how to lose weight in the second place. And, um, and then every day, you know, there's, uh, there's um, literature and there's writing and then there's anonymity. Anonymity is also a very important tool. Uh, obviously, you can't go around telling the whole world about all the overweight people or underweight people that you made in a meeting. And that's something that, you know, you wouldn't be programmed. But for me, anonymity means uh, when I go into a room, uh, I can have, wow, this is exaggerating, but exaggerating is fun. Um, when I go to a room and if Hitler got up and spoke, I wouldn't be interested in his political views. I come into this room for only one reason. What does it mean? What can I learn from a way? I've got somehow by hook or by crook, uh, there's been times when somebody got caught short and they got their girlfriend or boyfriend to speak. And their girlfriend or boyfriend was double weight, overweight, and they'd been in program for like three weeks. And they were speaking. It was like kind of, and when I went in, the attitude I went in, what can I learn from this person? So I am never interested who would I like and I don't like the shoes and, you know, all that kind of stuff that we usually get involved with, who they were friends with outside and when if you went out to fellowship if they left a big tip or a little tip. All this kind of business that you're entitled to do outside. In this program, you have only, I, ha I have only one purpose of being in these rooms, um, to get the most benefit from me and to try and share as best I can. Uh, to give you the most benefit. And that's the most important part of anonymity. I know lots of people that dropped out of meetings because they didn't like the clicks or all this other kind of stuff. And the end result was they had to wait um, um, to prove it. So those, those eight tools are, um, is like uh, one of the hallmarks of, uh, of my program. And even today, I, the scale went up a little bit from last month. And then I began looking at my eating plan. So, you know, uh, my chiropractor wants me to eat every two hours. So I take a small snack. So usually, I, you know, when I count out six nuts, that's enough to keep my blood sugar level going. But I just found out that I began just reaching for some nuts. And then all of a sudden, there's 12. And the least bit that, you know, I start getting over, 
then uh, I start proving on weight. So then I had to go back um, to basics. And that's also the reason why I'm still in program uh, coming up on 24 years. Because um, this compulsive overeating never goes away. You don't, you know, the, the experience does help, but it needs constant work. And every day, if I go to my room, and after I work out, I sit down and read program literature. Um, so that's what I, uh, what I do today, and the reason I sort of emphasized it is because I see a lot of newcomers, and you first come into the meeting, like when I first came in, I was born a Jewish, was a big part of my story. And uh, when I came in, I thought it was a right-wing Christian cult organization. <laughs> you know, uh, especially, you know, when you hear the Lord's Prayer. Um, so um, it was kind of very confusing about, you know, what does this have to do, you know, with losing weight? You know, but um, the, those eight tools especially, if you look at them and you follow them religiously, you'll find amazing um, recovery uh, in this program. The other side of uh, the eight tools is ego. I could do it my way, I could figure it out, I'm smarter than you all, and I got brains that I haven't even used yet, you know, all that kind of business. And when you do that kind of stuff, you usually get that result. And um, we've been, uh, I guess Walter and I have been to some strange meeting where ego was almost beyond belief. And those ego people, you know, ha- you know, never really came down to show it. Part of the weight loss uh, is uh, I, lost, uh, I lost 100 pounds of arrogance, and now I have, you know, a lot of humility about being in the program. Um, let me start my story. My story starts in uh, Russia and Poland, and both my, my parents... Uh, my father, actually, and my, uh, my mother's parents, they all came from the ghettos in Europe. In the ghettos in Europe, for Jews, things were very bleak, even before the Second World War. And in the Tsar's birthday, they used to go around and have a program, and people were killed and raped, you know, for you know, just arbitrary you know, reasons, mostly because um, they were there. And the poverty was not to be believed. And um, the... Uh, the poverty sort of meant that there was very rarely food. Those days, was, it was sort of like the early part of the 20th century, so there was no refrigeration. And the only foods that were available, which were the ethnic foods, were like, you know, uh, potatoes, uh, turnips, and rice, and wheat, you know, was the main staple of the diet. I mean, there was no such thing as, you know, vegetables, because for most of the year there was no place um, to keep them. And the people that I came from, they couldn't afford you know, uh, mostly uh, vegetables. Uh, when they came to this country, what happened was they brought with them the depression from what happened in Europe because they thought just by, the, by virtue of the fact that they moved, then some amazing thing will happen in their emotional system and nothing did. So they all began to sort of, you know, get reasonable type of jobs and they had the depression and they were able to buy food. So they sent me to a religious school, which is called the yeshiva. It's a parochial school. And when I went to this yeshiva, um, I used to learn all these ancient Babylonian books that had to do with law, you know, circa, I don't know, whatever it was, like 27 B.C., you know. And it had to do with, uh, and, and it was really mostly very incomprehensible to me. 
And there are great lawyers who learned this, had a penchant for that kind of stuff, or for ancient history. They would have enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed it. So, you know, all the books basically were black, and they were all ancient. And as a kid growing up in America, um, like sometimes I travel on the train when I got older to high school, and I would see all these, you know, uh, young Puerto Rican Italian kids all with tight skirts, and they all looked like they were having a lot more fun than I was. And uh, so, so everything was kind of dreary. The only exception that I ever noticed to this dreariness was like uh, on holiday times and food. When it came to food, there was no expense, and there was no, no expense to be spared about, um, you know, the preparation of foods. No matter where I went, whether it was a religious occasion, <coughs> and by the way, I'm going down in history. I'm going to be the first guy that invents a Jewish holiday that's celebrated with salad. <laughs> and that's going to be me. Every Jewish holiday I know is celebrated by food that we can't eat. You know, but I'm going to be the first one, salad day. So anyway, um, when I used to go to, uh, you know, uh, when I, the, uh, the occasions, I mean, the foods were always uh, unbelievable. There was no such thing as second rate or, you know, third rate. And uh, my greatest story about that, I guess I have two, is one from my bar mitzvah. And this is L.A., so I don't have to translate bar mitzvah. Uh, it's not like Montana or something. So uh, when I went for my bar mitzvah, my aunts were making uh, filter fish, which is really a chopped up hamburgers. And they brought home a live carp. And I sat there in my bathtub, and there was this huge carp swimming in my bathtub. And I say, I belong to the religion of the insane. Who in their right mind wants to skin a live carp? That's what they have fish stores. They bought it at the fish market. The guy does it. You know, but I have some answer, very religious, in case they were afraid that somebody, you know, had a knife or something that, you know, did something else with him. But the, the level of... You know, just the insanity to, to go about and prepare food. There was no task that was too overwhelming when it came to food. Everything else could go by the board, but not, um, not the food. And the other story I have is I have one very, very wealthy cousin. And he had this huge um, bar mitzvah that, you know, was like, it had, they had like a circus, of, I don't know, that famous there. And after having a buffet that could, you know, just amazing foods, then we had a full course meal. They brought out these Viennese tables with all the flaming stuff. And I was just amazed. You have to see a 400-pound woman in high heels with sequined, uh, you know, dress running at the table. Like somebody was going to steal, you know, this stuff. And I'm sitting there as a kid myself, and my eyes are just like this big. I mean, it's something you don't even see, like in the movies. It's just absolutely insane. And I grew up in this kind of an environment where food was number one, you know, and nothing else counted. They say in the South, which I go to uh, every year, uh, that, you know, in the South, you know, God is one, and... Uh, Basketball, uh, what they say? Oh yeah, football is number two, and on Sundays it reverses. Was on Saturdays it reverses. Uh, so where I grew up, food was uh, food was number one. Uh, I decided that uh, I was raised in a in a ghetto neighborhood, so I decided you know I was going to Americanize myself because I really didn't like 
whatever aspect of it is, uh, I had like a realization, and if you happen to be Jewish and you love it, um, I, I still, I recognize the Jew, but as an Orthodox Jew and a practicing Orthodox Jew, I went to school and I had this realization one day, uh, all like, Jews are supposed to do like, you know, the Ten Commandments and 613 deeds that you're supposed to do. And I realized that if you follow the precept that if it's fun, don't do it, then you kind of make, you know, you kind of get credit for most of those 613 things. So um, I joined the Y and I took up judo and I had an athlete's body. I bought a motorcycle. And I began spending an infinitude of time, for those of you that are younger, about being cool. Nobody is ever born cool. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> and that's... Uh, that's a true fact. You have to go to special places. I used to go to to get my hair cut. And I had a motorcycle. And uh, it's, uh, my cousin had a place, you know, he had one of these stores that had all the modern clothes. And I let him pick out his clothes for me. And, you know, it took a lot of effort. And uh, that's what I did. And compulsive overeating didn't come into the fray because I was jogging, you know, uh, five miles three times a week. So when you do a lot of exercise, um, it relieves tension and also it burns up a lot of calories. And then uh, in New York one day I, I missed the bus, so I decided I was going to my friend's house. I wasn't warmed up, and I decided just to jog it. I got a knee injury uh, that I had gotten. I re-injured it from judo, and my jogging days were over. And then my weight began to, you know, put on. And then also I had two, you know, young kids. And I don't know if you when you come home from work and putting kids to bed. I actually had more training to figure out the method to do it, and one wanted water, one wanted a story. And it was, the tension was beginning to build up about being, you know, working all day and then having to take care of the kids at night. So then, all of a sudden, from the back of nowhere, this compulsive overeating came about. So I went from having an athlete's body and like, you know, weighing like, you know, 175, 180, and then my weight started going up, 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 up. And when my weight started going up, I'm one of these guys that's very self-motivated. I learn all kinds of things in my, by myself, languages, and I'm just an amazing things. And the only thing I couldn't learn about was um, what to do to stop my weight. So the first thing I did, I went, I tried to, like these commercial programs like Weight Watchers. And for somebody that's serious, that was about the worst thing I could pick because they have this, it was like... Um, the whole thing with the, a lot of what I was raised with anyway, if you have a more modern rabbi, that's nice, but I was raised with a lot of shame around, you know, the religion. And they had this huge scale that the whole world could see. And when you looked at that scale, you know, it was like, um, I guess that's one of the, the ultimate backward of the, the Jewish religion. I guess it's for a lot of Christians too. It's like this uh, accounting procedure. You know, you get into heaven, they just sort of add up the pluses and minuses, and when the scale goes on the other side, then you go downstairs, and it goes one way, you go upstairs. So, and that's what the scale was like. So if you had, if you wanted the scale, and it told you that you were, you had gained the pounds since last week, it was very shame-based. Because it wasn't like a little private thing where you came in and then The whole world could see that scale. So, that didn't work. Plus, I didn't understand anything that they told me about the foods or the program. And in retrospect, the reason was, is because this program isn't about food. This program is about all the emotional problems and the spiritual problems which they don't tackle. 
So um, I came into Ovaries, uh, Ovaries Anonymous, and the first thing I found out um, was that there was an amazing innovation. I found out there was three meals. I never knew about that. If, uh, when, I, when I was weighing 280 pounds, if I wasn't working, I was eating. If, um, if I was watching TV, I never heard of anybody watching TV without having a snack. I never heard of anybody go- going to the movies without buying movie food. I just never heard about that. You know, and before you go to sleep, you need a little something, you know, just before you go to bed. I mean, if, if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't at work or traveling to or from someplace, then I was eating. So they said three meals a day. And so that's an amazing innovation. Uh, the real turnaround for me happened. So I went to program and I start. I did a fourth step, um, you know, the fourth step, and I turned it over. And my mother-in-law, got, I mean, gosh, all but I guess I had something to do with it, but she was really as mean as heck. And I had to make an amends to her. And that was the most humble thing I've ever done in my life. To have to make an amends to somebody that you absolutely cannot stand or tolerate. And, and, you know, I did it. And that humility, I think, is what carried me through the program. And since we have a lot of young people here, I'm going to share for me what was like um, the biggest spiritual experience I ever had in Ovaries Anonymous. Uh, When I went to Ovaries Anonymous, I lost a lot of weight very fast. And my daughter... My older daughter went to school for dancers, and I was feeling pretty spiritual. And my older daughter went to Los Angeles High School for the Arts, and all her friends were dancers. You know, my daughter and her friends were all, you know, absolutely gorgeous. And as I lost the weight, I looked at those things, and I was getting turned on a little bit. Now, I felt embarrassed about it, uh, although I have absolutely no control over it. I mean, it's the, the hormones I have, in, you know, inside myself are not under my control. But I wouldn't share with my sponsor, nor would I share in group. I put on about 10 pounds, and it took me about four years to lose those 10 pounds. And those 10 pounds uh, turned out to be like uh, a sexual buffer. One of the things that happens, and I, I always tell this tale, and I always get weird responses from it, uh, one of the things that happens when you get overweight or you get way underweight, then one of the first things that happens is uh, it has an effect on your, uh, on um, your sexual response, you know, towards who you know usually attracts you. The actual physical sexual response it gets you know turned down, and you see um, there is an aspect about being overweight or underweight that's very comfortable because if you're embarrassed by that, you know, being turned on, other people being turned on to you then the easiest thing to do is just beef it up. And then when I tell that to a lot of people, they say, it works for everybody but me. It's all right, let's don't work with you. But anyway, it's my story, but it's uh, one of those aspects uh, of my story. So um, I guess, uh, so now I've learned that if I have a problem, I need to share it with somebody. And the way we say it in the 12 step world, you're as sick as your secrets. And if you have a little problem that's buried and you think it's really dirty and nasty, uh, obviously there are a lot of things that you can't share in open group because um, some things are embarrassing. We are middle class people. And certain things are also illegal. But you need to find somebody that you can share it with. Because any secret that you keep 
no matter how deep or dark or forbidding you think it is, if you want to keep it as a secret, the consequence is that you'll never do this program. So, I mean, um, that's, that's one of the things um, um, that I learned. And the second thing that I learned, and I think uh, I'm going to close with this one, after 22 years, I was having problems with different foods. And every week I called up my sponsor with the number of nuts I was having, whether diet soda was good or not. And this is after 22 years. And we were going over all these foods. If you go out in the regular world and tell somebody that you have nine nuts instead of six nuts, they'll think you're an idiot. They'll say, go talk to somebody else. I mean, this is the only place that you can see. And I've heard people, and I felt the same way with somebody else here, talk about having, you know, uh, two tablespoons of dressing instead of one dressing. But for us, peculiar, for our peculiar disease, the exact quantities of what you're eating and uh, when you're eating it are crucially important to uh, our assets. And there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed about because if I was a diabetic, you know, whether I was taking four ounces of insulin or five ounces of insulin would be a big deal. And in a certain sense, you know, we have that aspect about them. So anyway, uh, uh, I've lost uh, a huge amount of weight being this program. My personality changed like 180 degrees. When I started this program, I was only interested in one thing, was me. I wanted to know what I could do to lose weight so I was look good so I wouldn't have to deal with anybody. And in this program, I've learned to actually care about, you know, other people, spend a lot of time um, taking care of other people. That's a, you know, huge change. Um, I very rarely get angry. And uh, my whole personality changed um, via, you know, getting to a normal weight in this uh, program. Anyway, I love you all because um, without you guys, I would have um, no recovery. And thank you for being here. Okay. Uh, anybody questions or sharing? Walter? Yes, Dan. Can you talk about how you work steps 10 and 11? Steps 10 and 11. Um, I guess um, usually what I do is the first... A lot of people do it at night, but I'm too tired. When I... In the morning... Um, I just take a look, um, I take a look at my day, and I just ask myself, is it, uh, how did everything go? And then I take a look at my major addictions, and I say, how was my food? And sometimes, let's say, for instance, I had some unusual food. And I say, well, you had that yesterday, of course you had to. Why don't you go take a look in the book and see about the calorie, you know, the fat, and the carbs is uh, for that food, if you could have it again. Or uh, was I particularly harsh with somebody? Did I violate one of my 12-step principles uh, with talking? And um, since I'm an avid Tai Chi Kung Fu practitioner, uh, meditation is a huge part of my... Uh, and I do, like, instead of... I do two forms of meditation. One is, like, classic, you know, Indian style meditation where I sit cross-legged and I burn candles and incense and, you know, listen to my breath. And the other thing I do is... Uh, I take um, 15, 20 minutes in, a, in the morning and I read um, some kind of 12-step, you know, literature in a very relaxed, you know, meditative way. So that's how I take care of 10 and 11. Yeah? What's your 
what? Okay, uh, I have a question about what my abstinence is. Okay. Uh, I used to follow a commercial program called uh, Zone, but there's a chiropractor, which I've learned to do this, but they do muscle testing. And he told me that um, in Zone, you, have, you sort of balance. A lot of people do that. They balance their carbs, uh, carbohydrates, and fats. Uh, and then he told me, uh, my, I can't have any wheat, I can't have any flour, I can't have any rice, and virtually no potatoes. And so once he said that, that, that turned out to be uh, my abstinence. And if I have, um, I can have a little bit of white stuff, but if, if I go someplace and one day I felt a little hard to breathe and I found out that I, I, I had eaten a little more white flour, you know, um, then I should have, uh, I always thought when I heard people share and they said, I don't eat, you know, I don't need any, you know, wheat, you know, any wheat, uh, rice, you know, potatoes. I thought they were crazy. I mean, who, you know, it's like 70% of most people's diet. But that's the uh, plan that I follow. And um, anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Thank you for sharing. Uh, very inspiring. Um, I am uh, studying right now, and um, I'm doing some tests, and uh, going back to school, etc. And the last time I was in school, the way I rewarded myself was nuts and raisins. And this sounds insane, but late at night, we would just do the little injection. They would, you know, instead of an impediment, I'm sitting eating these. And I'm studying now, and I'm becoming obsessed at night with this. And I, you know, I thought, I know what to do, but it's something that is, you know, it's like a knee-jerk. And stimulus uh, is what I try, I figured out with the reward issue. Do you still have those issues, and how do you deal with it? Okay, I'll talk to you about something crazy. Um, in her early school career, she used nuts and raisins. What's her name? Nancy. Nancy used nuts and raisins as a reward for staying up late and studying. And now she's studying, just like when the crocodiles go, she hit a little bell. <laughs> <laughs> and she figures it's time for um, nuts and raisins. Uh, I guess the only thing I would do in that situation is um, there's still late tools, and uh, you could write about it. You can call your sponsor about it. You can share. Uh, you can share in meetings about it, and you can use the telephone. <laughs> those are four tools that are in the eight tools, and those eight tools, they're not. You know, when you come to program, you read like endless stuff, and after a while, it sounds like they do on TV. You know, like near TV, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. but those eight tools are really powerful. And whenever you have a problem with food, if you go through the eight tools, the answer is there in those eight tools. Anybody else have any questions? Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing. You were, you were saying that your family is very, like, food associated and that food was the number one thing. So how do you, do you feel like you just practice acceptance when you're with your family or when people with who were the disease to bring up? Or how do you deal with that? Okay, the question is, how do I deal with my family where food is gone? And um, there's a story in the big book about, uh, it's called to the wives, about these wives that figure if they sent their husbands to the North Pole, then they wouldn't drink 
but their luck, they probably find an Eskimo with a bottle. You know, so the same thing, um, the same thing goes. I go to places where the cornucopia of food is not to be believed. You know, it's just a matter of being, you know, uh, you know, part of civilization. Every holiday, whether it's Halloween, Thanksgiving, what I call it, I call it the Bermuda Triangle of holidays. <laughs> After the Bermuda Triangle comes the summer, and people say, "Oh my God, I got to wear a bathing suit." So um, that's what, you know, that's what I do. Um, it's going to happen. There's, there's food everywhere in huge quantities. And since uh, carbs last the longest and they're the cheapest, they're always the most readily uh, the most readily available. Go ahead. Hi, thank you so much for your share. Um, did you ever suffer from depression? And if you did, uh, how did you deal with it? That's like a four-hour question. <laughs> the question is, how did I, so how do I deal with depression? Oh my God! Uh, let me think. Uh, actually, the closest thing I can give to a twelve-step answer uh, to that question um, um, is. Um, one is working the program, and then there are some other programs besides OA that I think do a better job in dealing with depression. Um, and doing a lot of serious inventories and, you know, finding out where the weakness is. But um, it says in the, um, in the big book, and I'm a firm believer, there are a lot of other outside um, issues that you can have to deal with depression. Depression um, is a big issue. Uh, and overeating, they kind of they kind of run together. And um, but the depressive part um, may require outside um, help. Besides doing uh, OA, I have gotten uh, I do well. I've gotten involved with a lot of energy work, which has really helped myself, you know, come up. So you know, it's the same thing. If you ask me what I do, what would you do if you cut your hand? So I, you know, I would say read the big book. That really wouldn't help to cut that much. <laughs> but this is along. It, this is along the um, the same lines. It's not an easy answer, and it may need some kind of outside intervention. Brent, um, what would be the best piece of advice you'd give to somebody starting out on this that really wanted to succeed? Okay. Well, I, I said it like nine times, but I'll say it again. Uh, follow the eight, uh, the eight tools. You just follow that as a roadmap. The eight tools are a blueprint for recovery uh, in OA. If you wanted to go, let's say I decided I wasn't going on a road trip to Cleveland, I would go on Yahoo or MapQuest, and I would get a map, and then I would follow it. And the map would tell me, turn right, turn left, go on to this highway, go on to that highway. The eight tools of recovery are a roadmap for how you get yourself to recovery. And if you want to check off, at the end of the week, you say, how many times did I go to meetings? How many times did I use the telephone? Do I have an eating plan? So that, that is my best advice to you. Do you have a sponsor? Yes. Okay, so there you go. So that's one of the eight. And do you do writing on a mostly daily basis? You know, all those things. So that's my answer. Can I ask about it? How do you, uh, how do you wrap up? Okay, that's it. <laughs>